Okay, good morning. I think we're about ready to get started here. We will uh, hopefully and Lord willing conclude our study now on Luther's essay, Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague. This is available, uh, uh, actually it's printed by the Lutheran Witness, and it's available, uh, if any of you at home want the link to this, uh, just email me and I'll get it to you if you're watching us from home or uh, outside of town. We are on page six on the left-hand column, the first full paragraph. So we've only got about two and a half pages. Hopefully we'll get through that today. Uh, thanks to those that brought uh, some goodies uh, to share in the back. There's also some uh, peppers, green peppers I see back there. So uh, thanks to those who are sharing the bounty of their gardens. It's a blessed time of year as we start to bring the harvest in. Have all manners, manners of delicious food to eat. A um, couple items of housekeeping for you early service people. You notice that uh, we removed the barriers, uh, the blue tape, to some of the pews and instead put blue tape down on the seats in the pews. So basically what we did is we've gone to kind of staggered seating for those of us that have children that are playing in stadiums <laughs> or arenas, you know all about blue tape. Uh, so uh, just continue to be smart, uh, you know, maintain appropriate distance between you and members of other households, and that opens up a few extra spots uh, in the middle of the pews and some other areas. And, uh, and if any of you, we've had a few families that uh, have uh, come to church the past couple of weeks and, you know, couldn't find a seat, just ask the elders. We have chairs that we can set up in the back, uh, but now with... Uh, reformatting our sanctuary with the blue tape. We should have plenty of seats and, and you know, we've only had maybe one service that's been over about 100 people. Today I think was about 100. Um, so we can get up to about 150 with eight foot distancing. So for those of you still trying to decide at home whether to come join us, we have space for you. So uh, please come. Uh, good to see you. Uh, fall schedule uh, starts here uh, the week of Labor Day. Um, so there's uh, information that's already been sent out both for Sunday school and for 5th through 8th grade uh, confirmation classes. Uh, this year, confirmation is now uh, being opened up to those in the 5th and 6th grade in order to be confir confirmed. Uh, there are two years of classes that are required, and they need to be done consecutively. Part of the challenge that we've had uh, in years past is at 7th and 8th grade level, our youth are so so busy <laughs> with sports and extracurricular activities that it's uh, really difficult uh, to sometimes get the confirmation classes or the focus that needs to be there. So if you have a son or a daughter that you're anticipating 7th and 8th grade being kind of like early high school years um, and you think they're ready, you can start them at confirmation classes at 5th grade. So if they start at 5th, then they be confirmed at 6th, they start at 6th, be confirmed at 7th, start at 7th, be confirmed at 8th. Nod your heads, you got it? So we're just trying to uh, work with uh, our current uh, culture and provide those gifts. We also now um, are uh, opening up uh, First Communion uh, for those parents who feel their children are ready. Um, we're not going to commune infants. Scripture says a man must examine himself before he eats of the body and uh, drinks of the blood. Um, otherwise, uh, without discerning that, you eat and drink judgment under yourself. So for those of you that might think we're going Roman Catholic or Orthodox, we are not. 
We're simply following the practice of Luther and the historic church. What does First Communion mean? You need to know the Ten Commandments. You know the Apostles' Creed. You know the Lord's Prayer. You know the primary texts of baptism, words of institution, um, and confession and absolution. So uh, we're, we now are putting the ball in the parent's corner. Uh, if the, uh, the parent should know their children better than us pastors every, every, ever will. Uh, and remember, receiving the Lord's gifts is all about faith. So if someone understands the basics, is able to examine themselves, and desires the Lord's gift, is there any reason to withhold it from them? No, there is not. Um, so uh, so that, that's, uh, um, uh, we've talked about that over the past year and a half or so, and working with the elders now, we're, we're rolling out that process. Uh, um, so uh, have any questions on that, contact me or Pastor Grady. Um, there's been a lot of changes synod-wide regarding First Communion and Confirmation as well uh, because of not only how the culture has changed, but also just trying to become more faithful regarding to what faith is. Faith receives the gifts and not limiting the Lord's gifts based on an age or a grade level. Okay? Anybody want to throw rotten peppers at me or anything? We're good? Okay. Uh, Pastor Grady, any other announcements I need to make? We're starting a Wednesday uh, evening service. So for those of you uh, maybe here with us or at home, um, I'm kind of a traditionalist. I grew up with Wednesday being church night and Sunday being the Lord's Day. And so we are making a little bit more of an emphasis on Wednesday being church night. So at 6.30 every Wednesday, we'll have a, uh, a short uh, service. We'll start with Vespers here in the fall. Uh, we're going to pray Vespers. And, and then confirmation classes will run from 7 to 8.30 after that. Uh, we'll also have an adult Bible class on uh, Wednesday evening as well. Um, and uh, maybe down the road we can add some other classes for the younger ages or other fellowship opportunities as well. We'll see what the church wants to do. Okay? So that's going to start September 9th. Is that correct? Okay. September 13th is Sunday School Rally Day. Um, all the Sunday School parents should have received an email by now. Um, we are open for Sunday school with, obviously, um, some uh, uh, expected protocols that you would have in any other school that has been put in place. Our Board of Education has worked very diligently on that. We also have a new Sunday school curriculum that we are, uh, have adopted this year from CPH called Enduring Faith. It's really good. Uh, we as pastors like it. And, uh, and we're excited about that. We also have senior high uh, Bible class that's going to be starting on Sundays as well. And uh, we've got uh, Joel and Mary Davis are going to be teaching that class, um, I assume, downstairs in the youth room. And so, uh, high schoolers, you're certainly welcome to still sit up here with uh, uh, the older adults, uh, but uh, you want to spend some time with uh, people your own age, um, you're welcome to go downstairs. Okay? Anything else I'm missing? Yes, ma'am, a question. What time does the Wednesday service begin? The Wednesday service uh, will start Wednesday, September 9th, and it's going to start at 6.30 p.m. We put it at 6.30 because we needed to get an hour and a half in there for confirmation classes. We didn't want to keep the kids here until 9 o'clock at night. So I know that's a half an hour earlier than what we do during Wednesday or during Lent and Advent, Okay. Uh, but uh, we'll do that September to May, have a Wednesday service, and, uh, and at some point, I'd love to have a morning service as well for those of you that uh, would like to come, you know, to pray matins or morning prayer. Um, so those are things that we're slowly working on uh, and developing, okay? Thank you. Any other questions? Smile. Jesus loves you.
The sun came up today. Isn't that amazing with everything going on? Okay. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, by your gift alone, your faithful people render true and laudable service. Help us steadfastly to live in this life according to your promises and finally attain your heavenly glory. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So as I mentioned earlier, we are concluding our study on Luther's essay, Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague. Uh, Luther and those around him went through a much more difficult situation that we have faced uh, with, uh, with COVID-19. Uh, and this was the uh, bubonic plague, otherwise known as uh, Black Death, swept through Europe uh, around 1350, uh, wiped out uh, over a third of the population uh, uh, at, at, at minimum. Uh, some uh, scholars and experts place it as high as 60% of the population was killed uh, from the bubonic plague. There were then reoccurrences of this plague for the next couple hundred years, and one of them took place in 1527, uh, there in Wittenberg, where Luther was. And Elector uh, John Frederick ordered Luther to leave Wittenberg. Luther said, no, my duty is to keep the church open, is to preach, to teach, and to visit. Um, you know, for those that uh, don't have uh, a public duty like that, it's perfectly fine, uh, and they should uh, sequester, uh, stay in place, and perhaps even leave Wittenberg. Uh, but Luther stayed in Wittenberg uh, to do his duties as a pastor. His wife, Katie, who was pregnant at the time, also stayed with him. And uh, Luther was basically asked by a lot of people, uh, should we stay or should we go? <laughs> Is it okay, you know, to flee from the plague? Is it okay to shelter in place or, you know, Monty Python, run away, run away, you know? And, and so Luther wrote this very excellent letter. What we've covered up to this point, we're on page six, uh, left-hand column, first full paragraph, is Luther, Luther has talked about those who have fallen into sin on the left-hand side of the issue, meaning that they've placed too much faith and trust in what they're going to do to combat the plague, or they're so worried, they're so afraid uh, of, 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 of catching the plague that they fail to trust in what God is doing, Okay. So that's one side of it. Now we're going to get into where Luther speaks to those on the right hand, and that's where we're going to pick up today. Others, he writes, sin on the right hand. They are much too rash and reckless, tempting God and disregarding everything which might counteract death and the plague. They disdain the use of medicines. They do not avoid places and persons infected by the plague, but lightheartedly make sport of it and wish to prove how independent they are. So Luther is speaking here to the live free or die crowd. They say that it is God's punishment. If he wants to protect them, he can do so without medicines or our carefulness. This is not trusting God, but tempting him. God has created medicines and provided us with intelligence to guard and take good care of the body so that we can live in good faith. So what do you think Luther is advocating here? For those of you that have been now in this third week of study, what's his position here? Completely ignore the plague and, and just go about everything as normal, okay? On the other hand, be so consumed by it that you live not only in fear, but you're placing your trust in medicines or practices. He's saying that's sin as well. So Luther here is advocating, and that this is, is to be fair, what we in the leadership here at Advent have tried to do in the midst of the COVID thing is kind of find the middle path between that. Okay, uh, in the midst of the pandemic, 
people, it's real. Okay. Um, on the other hand, we're not going to go so far to make a whole bunch of either new law or place our faith too much, you know, uh, in in all the practices. So it 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 it's it's in the it's in the middle, and that's what Luther is getting at. Any comments on that before I get to the next paragraph? Okay. Because if Luther hasn't offended you in some way, he probably is going to. I'm just going to tell you right now. So uh, because Luther speaks to both sides of the issue, and I know even in this room we have both sides of the issue, and I know for some of you at home we have both sides of the issue. Okay? So listen very carefully to Luther's words here drawn from Scripture. He continues, If one makes use of intelligence or medicine when he could do so without detriment to his neighbor, such a person injures his body and must beware lest he become a suicide in God's eyes. Remember, Luther doesn't mince words, right? By the same reasoning, a person might forego eating and drinking, clothing and shelter, and boldly proclaim his faith that if God wanted to preserve him from starvation cold, he could do so without food and clothing. Actually, that would be suicide, right? So that'd be akin to somebody who, you know, uh, uh, loses their job and uh, I'm just going to sit at home and wait for food to show up at my doorstep and money in my bank account. And Scripture says, he who does not work does not eat. Okay? All right? Um, it is even more shameful for a person to pay no heed to his own body and to fail to protect it against the plague the best he is able and then to infect and poison others who might have remained alive if he had taken care of his body as he should have. He is thus responsible for God for his neighbor's death and is a murderer many times over. Indeed, such people behave as though a house were burning in the city and nobody were trying to put the fire out. Instead, they give leeway to the flames so that the whole city is consumed, saying that if God so willed, he could save the city without water to quench the fire. No, my dear friends, that is no good. Use medicine. Take potions which can help you. Fumigate house, yard, and street. Shun persons and places wherever your neighbor does not need your presence or has recovered. And act like a man who wants to help put out the burning city. I like that phrase. Act like a man who wants to help put out the burning city. What else is the epidemic but a fire which instead of consuming wood and straw devours life and body? You ought to think this way. Very well, by God's decree, the enemy has sent us poison and deadly offal. Therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me, and I have done what he has expected of me. And so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. So where Luther now goes with this is that if your neighbor's in need, <laughs> should you, you know, succumbing to either fear, worry, or practice of trying to not get it, fail to help your neighbor? No. If God has given you that to do, then you are to do that. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardly and does not tempt God. Okay? And I would say the same thing in terms of uh, what God speaks. Uh, <laughs> let's go through the commandments. You shall have no other God. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And the third one, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Okay? 
Um, so Scripture speaks to this. We should not give up meeting together. Uh, you know, Jesus and all of Scripture throughout all of human history knows that we're going to face plagues, pandemics, and all those other things, and yet he still asks you, invites you, and even commands you to do what? <laughs> Some of you aren't going to like me for saying this. Come to church. Now, can we try and be safe and smart about it? Absolutely. And that's what we've tried to do. But at some point, you've got to put your foot down and say, enough is enough. Am I going to obey God or men or myself? Okay. We need the Lord's gifts. And so we have, since day one, always provided that. The church, in, in essence, has never really closed. We've always provided the opportunity for you to come and hear God's word and receive the Lord's Supper. And so for a few of you at home, and I'm smiling because I love you, if we haven't seen you in six months, listen to what Jesus says. He says, come, because you need this, okay? So you see where Luther is going with this? Now, I told you some of you wouldn't like what Luther would have to say, and now you won't like how I said it either, but that's Scripture, right? So Jesus commands all these things knowing full well that there's going to, I mean, he's, he's the Almighty God, Right? Jesus as God is omniscient. He knew everything that was going to happen. And he still calls people to not only gather together, to minister, uh, to serve, and to receive those gifts. So let's not lose sight of, <laughs> in the midst of the physical world, the things that are, that are still so spiritual and sacramental uh, that we completely neglect, you know, even our faith. Okay? Uh, matter of fact, I've told our uh, audiovisual team not to make our Sunday broadcast look too good. I said, throw some problems in there every now and then. So people are like, well, that's, I don't know if I like that. I might have to come to church because that's kind of annoying, you know. So they tell me they have problems, and I'm like, good. <laughs> don't I, Matthias? Yeah. Okay, where are we? Any questions or comments before I jump back into Luther here? Okay. All right. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me. I've done what he has expected of me. If my neighbor needs me, I shall not avoid place or person, will go freely. So this is a God-fearing faith because it's neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. So that's kind of trying to take, again, a good uh, uh, position, you might say a, a middle position. Moreover, Luther continues, he who has contracted the disease and recovered should keep away from others and not admit them into his presence unless it be necessary. Though one should aid him in his time of need, as previously pointed out, he in turn should, after his recovery, so act toward others that no one becomes unnecessarily endangered on his account and so cause another's death. Obviously, 500 years ago, there's a lot they didn't know and understand um, about molecular science and uh, all those big 50-cent words of dealing the deal with viruses being transmitted. Got it? Um, whoever loves danger, Ecclesiastes uh, 3, verse 26, will perish by it. So if the people in a city were to show themselves bold in their faith when a neighbor's need so demands and cautious when no emergency exists, and if everyone would help ward off contagion as best he can, then the death toll would indeed be moderate. But if some are too panicky and desert their neighbors in their plight, and if some are so foolish as not to take precautions but aggravate the contagion, then the devil has a heyday and many will die. On both counts, this is a grievous offense to God and to man. Here it is tempting God. There it is bringing man into despair. 
Then the one who flees, the devil will pursue. The one who stays behind, the devil will hold captive so that no one escapes it. Some are even worse than that. They keep it secret that they have the disease and go among others in the belief that by contaminating and poisoning others, they can rid themselves of the plague and so recover. With this idea, they enter streets and homes, trying to saddle children or servants with the disease and thus save themselves. I certainly believe that this is the devil's doing who helps turn the wheel of fate to make this happen. I've been told that some are so incredibly vicious that they circulate among people and enter homes because they are sorry that the plague has not reached that far and wish to carry it in, as though it were a prank, like putting lice into fur garments or flies into someone's living rooms. I do not know whether I should believe this. If it is true, I do not know whether we Germans are not really devils instead of human beings. It must be admitted that there are some extremely coarse and wicked people. The devil, however, is never idle. My advice is that if any such persons are discovered, the judge should take them by the ear and turn them over to the master Jack, the hangman, as outright and deliberate murders. What else are such people but assassins in our town? Here and there, an assassin will jab a knife through someone and no one can find the culprit. So these folk infect a child here, a woman there, and can never be caught. They go on laughing as though they had accomplished something. Where this is the case, it would be better to live among wild beasts than with such murders. I do not know how to preach to such killers. They pay no heed. I appeal to the authorities to take charge and turn them over to the help and advice, not of physicians, but of Master Jack the Hangman. Okay. Uh, any comments before we move on? You got Luther just doesn't hold back, right? <laughs> if in the Old Testament God himself ordered lepers to be banished from the community and compelled to live outside the city to prevent contamination, I'm going to stop right here. You know, when you look at some of the, oh, what's the word? Um, some of the laws that, that have been, you might say, foisted upon us or just in a very simple way put upon us, this is not uncommon in many respects to what we read in the Old Testament. So when you read through Leviticus, and some of you who were, who were with, with me this last year, as we, we made it about halfway through the book of Leviticus before we had to stop uh, Bible class in person, and, uh, and, and, and God was, was very specific um, on protecting people from diseases, contagions, and other such things. Okay? Uh, matter of fact, when uh, someone died, uh, there was a rule that, uh, what was the rule, Pastor? Couldn't touch the dead body, right? O only certain people, uh, just in case that person uh, was, uh, you know, uh, uh, contagious in some way, shape, or form, um, you know, God put a lot of these practices in place, we would believe as biblical scholars, to protect his people's health here and there. Now, some of them, yes, were connections um, to the temple and to sacrifice because our life obviously revolves around God and his gifts, result, revolves around Christ, uh, but even the same with lepers, okay? Um, and thus, uh, you know, we, we see Jesus, you know, I think of the ten lepers in the New Testament who are stuck over in their little, you know, lepers uh, assisted housing village, you know, crying out to Jesus, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. Um, and whereas most people would just keep on walking by, uh, Jesus stops, you know, um, and talks with them, and tells them to go show themselves to the priests. Uh, which they could only do uh, if they were healed of the disease. And uh, they took him at his word. They turned and went. This is our Thanksgiving text every year. Uh, it's a marvelous text because they trusted that uh, God would do his work. Um, however, 
Only one of them turned around to say thanks. And he was a Samaritan, a half-breed. Okay? Um, and uh, so, so faith grabs hold of the gifts, trust that God's going to provide. Uh, but faith also uh, follows uh, yet not only the authority that God gives here, but recognizes that we live in a sinful and a fallen world. So it, it's, a, it's a both and. And I know that's difficult for all of us. I get it. You know, the, the, this whole pandemic thing, I, I truly believe, uh, has been both a blessing and a curse. It's been a blessing because for us as Christians, it's, it's forced us, focused us to take God at His Word and to recognize how important uh, are the gifts that He gives to us and how much we truly need uh, and, and the saint in us desires them. Okay? On the other hand, it's been a curse because, you know, I fall into worry and fear. What's going to be the result of this? You know, um, our Missouri Synod just cut uh, 19 staff people because offerings to the Synod in general have plummeted so much. Um, And so 19 people that we had doing a number of things, one of them uh, who was actually in charge of all of our university chapels, you know, kind of in charge of all of our college and university outreach. So we don't have somebody doing that right now. That's unfortunate, but the money's not there, Okay. So difficult times require difficult decisions. Don't get mad at our president. Don't get mad at the, uh, the, the COP and the board and all that stuff. That's just part of the reality of it. How much more will we see? You know, there's a report I saw this last week. One-third of the United States population has applied for and or received unemployment benefits in some way, shape, or form. Okay, and I'm not going to go into all the politics and all the other side of that, but Facts are still facts in one sense that that's a lot of people that have been affected, okay? Um, And, uh, you know, wow. So, um, yeah, there's going to be changes as a result of this to our lives. There already have been. Um, A Christian trusts that the Lord, who even allows evil and things to befall us, will yet create a path forward and will provide for us. Your faith clings to that. It doesn't mean, however, that you sit around in your lazy boy recliner on your back porch or front porch swing and just swing away waiting for God to drop off what you need by the Amazon delivery truck. Okay? So you work. You, you do what you can. Um, and you trust that God's going to provide. Okay? So, so a Christian, again, let me just phrase it this way, it's law and gospel. Okay? It's, it's, it's law and gospel. It's, it's both and. Okay. Comments? Any dead fruit anybody wants to toss? Do you think Luther, let me ask you this question. Do you think Luther, and keep in mind this was the bubonic, bubonic plague, right? So this is 500 years ago, a lot of things they don't know. Um, do you think Luther is rightly identifying the challenges at the time, and what do you think of his advice so far? I'm just curious. Anybody want to tackle that one? Does anybody think Luther's off base on anything? Now, Luther was off base on things, just so you know. I mean, we're doing, Luther was not Jesus, okay? So Luther said and did some things that, that we, would, we would take issue with, uh, you know. So, yes, Pete. Mm-hmm. Right. Thank you. 
So uh, Pete said uh, that, that Luther's advice here is very good. It's very practical. Um, and I'm repeating this for the people that can't hear you. Um, and uh, and, and it, it's, it's just common sense. And that, that I think, is, is, is a word we've used quite a bit here and continue to ask uh, as well. Just, just use common sense, okay? Anybody else want to add anything? You're tinking, as my grandpa would, or my grandma would say. Are you tinking? They're like, no, I just used the restroom, Grandma. <sighs> okay. You've heard, you've heard Grandma McKay, boys. You've heard her say that, too. She got that from her mom. Okay. All right, where are we at here? Uh, we are at, where are we? Give me, a, give me a cursor. If in the Old, let's do that. If in the Old Testament. Okay. Leviticus 13. There we go. Okay, okay. So let's go to the next paragraph of that. Under such circumstances, it's our duty to assist such a person and not forsake him in his plight, as I've repeatedly pointed out before. Then the poison is stopped in time, which benefits not only the individual but also the whole community, which might be contaminated if one person is permitted to infect others. Our plague here in Wittenberg, Wittenberg has been caused by nothing but filth. The air, thank God, is still clean and pure, but some few have become contaminated because of the laziness or recklessness of some. So the devil enjoys himself at the terror and flight which he causes among us. May God thwart him. Amen. Okay, now he's still got more he's going to add to that. That just made me think, I don't know if you caught this news story a couple weeks ago uh, that came out, uh, that uh, there are stores in, I believe it was Italy, that back during this actual plague we're talking about, the bubonic plague, Black Death, they actually had uh, uh, kind of uh, drive-through windows uh, that they would they would sell and give the oil and the wine. Okay, um, so they didn't understand all the science behind it, but they knew back then that the bubonic plague, Black Death, would be passed person to person. They still wanted to keep the businesses open, so they created these little archway windows that they would sell the oil and the wine through. And there were, and, and the article went on to talk about a couple of uh, businesses uh, in Italy that actually opened back up some of these old windows uh, from 500 years ago. Very fascinating, uh, because you know, I mean, it's the same thing. You go any place now, and there's a big, you know, plexiglass partition, you know, um, you know, maintaining distancing and all that other stuff. And uh, you know, so we're not the first to experience all this, folks. Right? Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. Okay? So when you start to feel so down in the dumps and, and you know, things are so bad and da-da-da-da, um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Next paragraph. This is what we think and conclude on this subject. Next paragraph. Because this letter will go out in print for people to read, I regard it useful to add some brief instructions on how one should care and provide for the soul in time of death. So when one faces death, so Luther's letter kind of just ended, And then he's got a really long postscript, <laughs> a P.S. that he adds to it. Uh, you know, so it's, it's kind of like a, a pastor in the pulpit, you know, who didn't write out his sermon. And, oh, yeah, I need to mention that. And you're kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, that really didn't fit with that. You know, you go home and your wife says, where did that come from? That didn't, you know, it's like, it needed to be said, honey. Okay. So this is what Luther's doing here. Now, now look at where he goes to immediately. Okay. So, so in, in dealing with the prospect of our mortality, the plague, the pandemic, I want you especially to pay attention to what Luther emphasizes. Here we go. First, one must admonish the people to attend church and to listen to the sermon so that they learn through God's word how to live and how to die. 
It must be noted that those who are so uncouth and wicked as to despise God's word while they are in good health, (laughs) hang on here because Luther gets really fierce, okay? Those who are so uncouth and wicked as to despise God's word when they are in good health should be left unattended when they are sick, unless they demonstrate their remorse and repentance with great earnestness, tears, and lamentation. A person who wants to live like a heathen or a dog and does not publicly repent should not expect us to administer the sacrament to us, to him, or have us count him a Christian. Let him die as he has lived, because we shall not throw pearls before swine, nor give to dogs what is holy. Okay? Now, knowing a little bit of the context of Luther, he kept church open in the midst of all this, but there are a lot of people that he just didn't see. Okay? They didn't come to church. He was there as a pastor to hear confession, to offer absolution, to give them the sacrament. And in the midst of being challenged with this, a lot of people did what? They left church. Left church. You know, so that's one of our biggest, you know, uh, fears, sinful worries, I think, as pastors and leaderships is, you know, what's our church going to be like in a year? When are people going to come back? And, of course, a lot of people say, well, I'll come back when when things are back to normal. And I would simply say, good luck with that. Things are never going to be normal. You might say, well, that's your opinion, Pastor. But I would say, hey, we face death all day long. Um, And you don't know when that's going to come. So what's most important to you? Dramatic pause. Golf. The pastor's son says golf. Absolvate in nomina patria, spiritu sanctu, amen. Oh boy. Let him die as he has lived, because we shall not throw pearls before swine, nor give to dogs what is holy. Sad to say, there are many churless, hardened ruffians who do not care for their souls when they live or when they die. So when, you're, when, you're, when you face death and you're, you're dealing with that, Luther says you need to care for your soul. How do you do that? You care for your body as well. But how do you care for your soul? They simply lie down and die like unthinking hulks. Second, everyone should prepare in time and get ready for death by going to confession and taking the sacrament once every week or fortnight. He should become reconciled with his neighbor. How are you doing with that one? Make his will. You got a plan? So that if the Lord knocks and he departs before a pastor or chaplain can arrive, he's provided for his soul, has left nothing undone for his family and his neighbor, and has committed himself to God. Okay? Um, doesn't matter how old you are, I would, would strongly encourage you to have a will or an estate plan in place. It's a very good thing. It's very helpful. Okay? Uh, my wife and I did it at a fairly young age. Uh, we probably did it only because her brother is an estate and tax attorney, uh, and he provided it free of charge at the time. Uh, but uh, he simply asked the question, okay, do you have life insurance? I said, yeah, got some life insurance. He said, uh, do you want your kids to receive all that life insurance in full when they turn 18? And I said, if they're anything like me, no. <laughs> I want somebody watching over them and pro- providing for them should the good Lord take me, Okay. 
Um, also want to be able to provide for, you know, church and other family members if need be. And so, you know, that, that's why you, you do some of that. That's not, you know, uh, that's not a lack of faith. It's just a lack of, of good preparation, of being a good steward of what you have, okay? Um, where did I go? Okay, where there are many fatalities and only two or three pastors on duty, it's impossible to visit everyone, to give instruction, and to teach each one what a Christian ought to know in the anguish of death. Those who have been careless and negligent in these matters must account for themselves. That's their own fault. After all, we cannot set up a private pulpit and altar daily at their bedside simply because they have despised the public pulpit and altar to which God has summoned and called them. So in the midst of the bubonic plague, what did Luther say? Come to church. Okay? And, and he left it open. Now, in the midst of that, you know, if you're sick, if you're exhibiting symptoms, you know, okay, you know, stay at home. We'll come to you if need be or we'll do something, you know, separate. Um, so he, he's, he's not saying, you know, he's, he's not tempting God just throwing it all out there. Okay? Um, and, uh, but... What's most important? Care for the soul. Third, if someone wants the chaplain or pastor to come, let the sick person send word in time to call him and let him do so early enough while he is still in his right mind before the illness overwhelms the patient. Okay? Um, call us, please, if you are sick, if you're having surgery, um, at the very least so that we can pray for you and, and we can pastor you uh, and help you through that. Uh, don't be so stubborn that it's me, myself, and I, and I'll handle everything. Uh, the Lord has given people uh, to, to help and assist you. And the sinner in you just wants to do everything by yourself. Okay? Um, so please let us know. We promise, you know, we're, we're not there to, to gossip to everybody what's going on with you or that sort of thing. We're not there to, you know, um, stick our noses where you may not think it belongs. We're, we're there to simply serve you with God's word and his gifts. Why? Soul care. Okay? For the sake of your soul. Um, the reason I say this is that if some are so negligent that they make no request and send no message until the soul is perched for flight on the tip of their tongues and they are no longer rational or able to speak, then we are told, dear sir, say the very best you can to him. But earlier, when the illness first began, they wanted no visit from the pastor but would say, oh, there's no need. I, I hope he'll get better. What should a diligent pastor do with such people who neglect both body and soul? They live and die like beasts in the field. They want us to teach them the gospel at the last minute and minister the sacrament to them as they were accustomed to it under the papacy when nobody asked whether they believed or understood the gospel, but just stuffed the sacrament down their throats as if into a bread bag. Pastor Ullman here, somebody get him a drink of water. He's, he's, uh, he's choking up. I know, Luther just goes right at it, doesn't he? This won't do. If someone cannot talk or indicate by a sign that he believes, understands, and desires a sacrament, particularly if he has willfully neglected it, we will not give it to him just any time he asks for it. We have been commanded not to offer the Holy Sacrament to unbelievers, but rather to believers who can state and confess their faith. Let the others alone in their unbelief. We are guiltless because we have not been slothful in preaching, teaching, exhortation, consolation, visitation, or anything else that pertains to our ministry and office. Okay? And if you, you want to know what, what Pastor and Grady and I try to do, and we're not perfect, we're sinners, that probably sums up what we really try and emphasize here in terms of our work. Okay? This, in brief, is our instruction of what we practice here. 
We do not write this for you in Breslau because Christ is with you, and without our aid, he will amply instruct you and supply your needs with his own ointment. To him be praise and honor together with God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, world without end. Amen. (laughs) P.S.S. So the last one was the first postscript. Now Luther gets to another one. (laughs) Because we have come upon the subject of death, I cannot refresh... I really would have liked to have listened to his sermons. You know, we we don't have a lot of sermons written by his own hand. They were notes that people took from lectures and from sermons themselves. I Just from reading so many of Luther's writings, I got to imagine that he was a little bit of a scatterbrained preacher sometimes. And if he felt it was important and need to be said, you know, he would just just preach it. I mean, most of the, the sermons that we have, the notes, I mean, if I were to preach to you an average Luther sermon, we'd still be in church early service people. I'm not joking. Okay. So if my, if my sermon, I mean, Pastor Grady, you're very good at sticking to a time limit. <laughs> you know, if my sermon, you know, it might get to 20 minutes, you know, or, or 25, and you're like, oh, my goodness, then I would say, I'm going to give you a Luther sermon next Sunday if you're going to complain. Okay. Because we have come upon the subject of death, I cannot refrain from saying something about burials. First of all, I leave it to the doctors of medicine and others with greater experience than mine in such matters to decide whether it is dangerous to maintain cemeteries within the city limits. Now, he's going to go into detail on this, but I want you to understand that that he is advising the people not to become experts unto themselves. And in our age of information technology and the digital age... I think we all fall into that trap in some respects, that we become experts unto ourselves, okay? Um, And so, as pastors, we get the great joy of hearing from all of you. (laughs) So, we've got the, you know, live free or die, you know, it just is what it is and blah, 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 you know, and, 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 and the others who, yeah, okay. So, and everybody's got an opinion. Right? You know, uh, who are you? You, you Fox News? Are you CNN? Are you, you know, CDC? You know, or, or, you know, oh my goodness, the who? WHO? What? You know, and so, yeah, there, there are experts on a lot of these things, and we actually have a lot of experts in the congregation. You may not know that, but we have a lot of healthcare professionals, doctors, people even working at the state level. So if, if you think that, uh, you know, some of the stuff that you're hearing is hocus-pocus, I'll give you a few names and no- numbers of people that you should know and trust because they're fellow brothers and sisters in Christ here, and they understand some of the science and the other stuff, which I don't even pretend to do. That's not my field of study, okay? So just, just pay attention to what Luther says. So just be careful that you're not drawing all the conclusions yourself. I have some very dear friends that are some very faithful Missouri Synod pastors that, um, boy, they're experts. And I love them to death, but it just drives me nuts. Um, That's all I'm going to say about that. (sighs) I do not know and do not claim to understand whether vapors and mists arise out of graves to pollute the air. If this were so, my previously stated warnings constitute ample reason to locate cemeteries outside the city. As we have learned, all of us have the responsibility of warding off this poison to the best of our abilities because God has commanded us to care for the body, to protect and nurse it so that we are not exposed needlessly. In an emergency, however, we must be bold enough to risk our health if that is necessary. Thus, we should be ready for both, to live and to die according to God's will. 
uh, 4, read it with me. None of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself, as St. Paul says, Romans 15. Now, it is very well known the custom in antiquity, both among Jews and pagans, among saints and sinners, was to bury the dead outside the city. Those people were just as prudent as we claim to be ourselves. This is also evident in St. Luke's gospel, when Christ raised from the dead the widow's son at the gates of Nain. That's Luke 7, 12 states. Read it with me. He was being carried out of the city to the grave, and a large crowd from the city was with her. Now, in that country, it was the practice to bury the dead outside the town. Christ's tomb also was prepared outside the city. You probably never made this connection. Abraham, too, bought a burial plot in the field of Ephron near the double cave where all the patriarchs wished to be buried. The Latin term, therefore, employs the term ephori, that is, to carry out, by which we mean carry to the grave. They not only carried the dead out, but also burned them to powder to keep the air as pure as possible. My advice, therefore, is to follow these examples and to bury the dead outside the town. Not only necessity, but piety and decency should induce us to provide a public burial ground outside the town that is our town of Wittenberg. A cemetery rightfully ought to be a fine, quiet place, removed from other localities to which one can go and reverently meditate upon death, the last judgment, the resurrection, and say one's prayers. Such a place should properly be a decent, hallowed place, to be entered with trepidation and reverence, because doubtlessly some saints rest there. It might even be arranged to have religious pictures and portraits painted on the walls. Okay? Now, I came from Nebraska, as you know, for 11 years before I arrived here. I loved going out and visiting a lot of the rural parishes. What did they all have? A cemetery. I loved, I, I did a number of, uh, you know, uh, funerals, uh, not only in, in some rural churches, but graveside services and, 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 and you know, that, that's just a, a historic thing, as was able, especially in rural areas, you know, to have a cemetery in place. You know, Pastor Grady and I have tossed around, and you have this, one of your ideas, uh, when you did feasibility study, we have 20 acres here. You know, and people have asked me, should we put a cemetery in here at Advent? My simple response, I would love a cemetery. I don't know what's all involved in that. I mean, city, state, I mean, I, I'm not an expert on all that stuff. But churches having cemeteries, a, a place where you can, you can go and you can, you can um, meditate and pray, and especially on church property, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool, Okay. And I know we're only 25 years old as a congregation, but uh, just think 100 years from now if our Lord tarries, right? Um, you know, definitely gives more of a permanent uh, place to a location as a church as well. Okay, enough about that. Any other comments before I move on here and finish up with Luther? Okay. But our cemetery, what is it like? Four or five alleys, two or three marketplaces, with the result that no place in the whole town is busier or noisier than the cemetery. People and cattle roam over at any time, night and day. Everyone has a door or pathway to it from his house, and all sorts of things take place there, probably even some that are not fit to be mentioned. <laughs> this totally destroyed. We lived next to a cemetery when I was in sixth grade outside of Springfield, Missouri, Stratford, Missouri, and the high school kids. There's a little tiny cemetery, but it had this grove of trees in the back. And it's where every Friday night after the football games, you'd hear all these trucks and cars with loud exhausts. And that was the place to go drink, <laughs> right? It was the cemetery. Uh, I don't know why I told you that, but... Uh, 
Like, it's a cemetery, man. I have a little, have a little reverence. Oh, man. Okay. This totally destroys respect and reverence for the graves, and people think no more about walking across it than if it were a burial ground for executed criminals. Not even the Turk would dishonor the place the way we do, the Muslim. And yet a cemetery should inspire us to devout thoughts, to the contemplation of death and the resurrection, and to respect for the saints who rest there. How can that be done in such a common place through which everyone must walk and to which every man's door opens? If a cemetery is to have some dignity, I would rather be put to rest in the Elbe, <laughs> the river, or in the forest. If a graveyard were located at a quiet, remote spot where no one would make a path for it, then it would be a spiritual, proper, and holy site and could be so arranged that it would inspire devotion to those who go there. That would be my advice. Follow it, whoever so wishes. If anyone knows better, let him go ahead. I'm no man's master. In closing, we admonish and plead with you in Christ's name to help us with your prayers to God so that we do battle with word and precept against the real and spiritual pestilence of Satan and his wickedness with which he now poisons and defiles the world. So Luther ascribes the effects of the plague, the devil, the world, and our sinful nature. We would say the same thing with COVID. Okay? That is particularly against those who blaspheme the sacrament, though there are other sectarians also. Satan is infuriated and perhaps he feels that the day of Christ is at hand. That is why he raves so fiercely and tries through the enthusiast to rob us of the Savior Jesus Christ. Under the papacy, Satan was simply flesh, so that even a monk's cap had to be regarded as sacred. Now he is nothing more than sheer spirit, and Christ's flesh and word are no longer supposed to mean anything. They made an answer to my treatise long ago. Luther always takes us back to his dealings with Rome, um, but I am surprised it has yet reached me at Wittenberg. When it does, I shall, God willing, answer them once again and let the matter drop. I can see that they will only become worse. Okay? Uh, they are like a bed bug, which itself has a foul smell. But the harder you rub to crush it, the more it stinks. I hope that I've written enough in this pamphlet for those who can be saved. So that God be praised, many may thereby be snatched from their jaws, and many more be strengthened and confirmed in the truth. May Christ our Lord and Savior preserve us all in pure faith and fervent love, unspotted and pure until his day. Amen. Pray for me, a poor sinner. Thank you, Dr. Luther, Pastor Luther. Any closing comments on what we just read from Luther? If you're all good, say amen. Let's stand and close with the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.